I realize I'm worth more than just a, hi ma'am, thank you, see you later. And it's like, I never took myself as being worth it. My name is Tony Kilgo and I have a new life in Christ. My life was a chaotic mess. My life was dictated by past hurts and sorrows and just pain and I have just let it control me. Most of my life has always been centered on trying to turn a relationship into something that you know is not what a relationship is whether it be just a companion or just a friend or whatever. I uh, was living in chaotic turmoil. I never knew what to do and I never knew how to act or who to talk to. My life past was very hard and very painful. Um, it was painful due to the fact that I was molested as a child by a distant relative. And then as I was older and in high school, I was raped by an older classmate. I became sexually promiscuous. I used sex as a tool to feel loved and wanted. And it, it did not work to my advantage. I've been married twice. The first time I was married, it was at the age of 17 when I was just trying to get out of my parents' house. And unfortunately, that relationship did not work. It was very abusive, very emotional. And once again, I had issues with trust and commitment for the simple fact that I was being told almost on a daily basis that I was too fat, too ugly, and that no one would ever love or want me. I uh, believed every word of it to the point where I didn't even love myself. Even though I had known of Christ, even accepted Him on a couple of occasions, but I never trusted Him. I never believed in his promises. When I finally met my second husband, I kept thinking, okay, this is it, this will work. We had one beautiful daughter and I was so proud to be her mother. But as usual, I went back into my old pattern of thinking, okay, you know, how long will it be? How long will it take for him to start cheating on me or lying to me? And sure enough, because I pushed him away and because I set him up for failure, it eventually did fail. He did eventually start cheating on me and he did start lying to me. And this particular marriage, unfortunately, ended in turmoil, sorrow, hatred, bitterness. At the end of this marriage, we lost our second daughter because of all the issues we were having. When I thought I was controlling my own life, God was letting me know I was not in control. I had issues with overeating, binge drinking, 
Um, I've never considered myself an alcoholic, but when I look back at my past, the binge drinking happened with emotions and sorrows. A friend of mine kept asking me to come to Stone Point Church, and I finally gave in. Like I said, I have known Christ or have known of Him, but never walked with Him. And so I started Stone Point Church. I visited and I liked what I heard, I liked what I saw, and I felt good. It's like I finally felt something around me. I finally felt, and at the time I didn't know it was Jesus, but I finally felt something worth sticking with. So I continued to come to Stone Point Church. And as I did, I heard of a program called Regeneration. And when I first came, I kept thinking, I don't have any problems. What am I doing here? It's like, why did I come? But for some reason, something just kept telling me, you gotta go, you gotta go. So I did, I kept coming to Regen. I attended every Monday night. And there were some nights when I came, I did not want to get out of my car. And when I would walk in and I was so angry, I would come to group and I would sit there and I'd tell them, you know, leave me alone. Don't talk to me. I don't want to be bothered. And I would listen to all the other women in the group and I would hear their stories. And I began to think, you know, they're not much different than me. We all pretty much have the same problems, just in a different manner and a different way. And so I started opening up and I started letting what they call the Holy Spirit work within me. And as I let go of each issue and I confessed each issue and problem and sin that I had committed to other people, I began to feel better. I began to understand what God was trying to teach me. I have continued to thrive and overcome so many of the issues since I've let God and the Holy Spirit into my life I've had much more joy much more happiness and a lot less anger I stumble and I fall but I pick myself up differently nowadays when I pick myself up I tell God thank you and I express my faith and my praise for Him because He is why I am here. Amen. Hey, can we just give Tony one more hand? I mean, like, that's just... A It just takes such courage to share a story like that, a story of hurt. But that's why we celebrate Easter is because regardless of where we've been, what we've done, we know that Jesus can forgive us and we know that he loves us and cares for us. And that is the message of Easter. And I would say, I think that's what makes Easter probably my favorite day of the year. I mean, I don't know about you, but like to have Easter and April Fool's on the same day, 
is like clutch. Like, and there's some people taking advantage of it because on one hand, you're like, hey, I get to celebrate the greatest event in all of human history where 2,000 years later, millions of people are still celebrating this guy named Jesus who claimed to be like God, who claimed to be God, to, who died on the cross for what we believe is our sin problem and then was resurrected on the third day. Then you get April Fool's as well, Right? And so what I mean by that is this, okay? Like, here's my two favorite things about Easter. Number one is the resurrection. And number two, I know this is gonna surprise some of you, but it is the Reese's egg, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like I, like, I love Reese's in general, but when you have a Reese's egg, it's like they take all the savory goodness that Reese's has to offer and they stick it in an egg. And I'm looking forward to it, okay? So I've kind of been doing this kind of challenge, and so I haven't been able to eat all the things. But listen, today it is going down with some Easter, uh, Easter eggs from Reese's, okay? But here's what I, I want you to hear. Like, so here's why this whole April Fool's deal is kind of clutch today is because some of you have been looking online on ways like you can use April Fool's to your advantage today. And so here's one that's just kind of been going around. And that is to take like one of your favorite chocolate candies eat it as a parent, and then wrap up something like a grape, put it back, and then give it to your kids this afternoon. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's like kind of malicious, and probably at the end of our service, you're gonna have a chance to repent for your decision, and we'll give you that opportunity. But let me just raise a hand. How many of you have wrapped up something for your kids today, like a grape? Anybody? Oh yeah, there's a couple. They're like, they're like this. Like they don't want like too many people to say. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's what, here's what the message today is about. Listen, I want you to realize that it doesn't matter how much you package something. If the inside is not savory goodness, it does not matter, right? And so today, I'm going to just give you a story about what Jesus is going to consider about not just the outside of a package, but the inside. And he's going to talk about two, two characters in this story. But as he's telling the story, I want you to realize that he's also talking in amongst a couple of different people that it really matters. And so Jesus is going to tell a handful of stories. It is called a parable. So if you're new to church, you can find this in the Gospel of Luke, which is uh, you, in your Bible. It's the New Testament. And so it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you're looking, uh, you can use your iPhone as well. And uh, we just want to say, hey, thanks for being here. So as you're turning to your Bible, uh, we want to make sure that you realize that if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to bless you with one. And we also want to welcome anybody that's joining us online right now. Uh, so here's the deal. Jesus is going to gather around and in Luke chapter 15. He's going to have two sets of people that are, are joining him as he begins to tell this story. And so in Luke chapter 15, verse one, one of the groups of people we realize that are there are these people that are called the tax collectors and sinners. And according to Luke chapter 15, verse one, they're all drawing near to him. And as they're drawing near, Jesus is about to use this story to, to share something that's gonna resonate in these tax collectors and sinners' hearts. Now, just so you can kind of get this in your mind, these tax collectors and sinners are what we would call the rowdy crowd. Maybe you're in here, like don't start you know, elbowing your neighbor just yet, but let me just explain the rowdy crowd to you. The rowdy crowd is what you would say is the irreligious. Now, they're not real, they're not real keen and even, probably even being here this morning. Like they're here, but there's a little bit of hesitation. And here's why, because typically church is not known to be a lot of fun. And so the rowdy crowd is all about having fun. They're gonna live it up. They're going to celebrate. Most of them probably uh, showed up to church this morning being drugged by somebody, but they really enjoyed yesterday because they were on 6th Street or they were at Vegas or they were at a strip club or something like that. Like they were having fun last night. They're tired this morning and they're not real excited about being here. But listen, 
Jesus is going to talk to this rowdy crowd and with some importance. Now, I'll tell you this, the, the rowdy crowd just in general is the life of the party. You love to have fun. You, you started that in second grade and you were always a class clown. You've been the class clown. You throw all the parties. You have all the fun. You spend all the money. Matter of fact, you loved college so much because mom and dad were nowhere close and you somehow slipped the Visa card into your wallet. And so you've lived it up and you are, are kind of that rebellious. But here's the deal. Jesus isn't just talking to this rebellious, rowdy crowd. There's another crowd that in Luke chapter 15, verse two, we see is there. And this happens to be this group that's called the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, what's interesting in Luke chapter two, or uh, 15, verse two, look what the, the Pharisees and the scribes do. They're grumbling and they're saying what? This man, speaking of Jesus, this rabbi, this good teacher, he receives these people and even what? Eats with them. And they're blown away. They're like, what in the world is Jesus, this good moral teacher, this person who keeps the law, who claims to be God? If he is God and he's in fact this great Jewish rabbi, then what in the world is he doing with this rowdy crowd? That doesn't even seem right. And it blows their mind because they cannot imagine how God would even, uh, even begin to love people that are so rebellious and so rowdy. And so here it is, you've got a rowdy crowd and then what you've got here too is this religious crowd, this group of Pharisees and scribes. Now, let me explain the religious crowd to you real quickly. It's the church person. It's the person who they, they dress sharp, they, they look nice, they claim to have all the, their, their rules in order. They don't break many rules. They, they typically are the people who seem to be called what? The goody two-shoes or the holy roller. And so here it is. You've got two different types of people. Like they are entirely different and they're both sitting at Jesus' feet and they're about to listen to him tell some stories. And so you've got the rowdy crowd. Everybody in here say rowdy crowd. Okay, let's try that one more time because it wasn't everybody. Here we go. Rowdy crowd. Rowdy crowd. And then you also got what? The religious crowd. So here, religious crowd. Religious crowd. You got some that are rebellious and you got some that are rule followers. And then Jesus starts and he tells three stories. The very first story he's going to tell about uh, a shepherd and who has a hundred sheep and 99 of them are, are right there with you. And there's, there's one that's lost. And so he says, I want you to realize that that's what a good shepherd does. He leaves the 99 and he goes and he finds the one lost sheep and he brings it home. He throws it over his shoulder. And when he's back, he calls all of his friends to celebrate and they throw a party and they rejoice. And he says, because the lost sheep was, was gone and now he's found. And then it says something like this. And that's what happens when one sinner repents and turns to God, everybody in heaven rejoices. And then Jesus tells another story. He goes, it's going to be like a woman who loses a coin. She has 10 coins and one of them's lost in her house. And so she's going to go and she's going to sweep and sweep and sweep. She finally finds that one lost coin. And when she does, guess what? Her response is similar. She's going to call all her friends and neighbors around and they're going to celebrate. Why? Because this coin was lost, but now it's found. And then so Jesus says something similar that he did in the very first story. He goes, it's just like that. When one person repents and turns to God, all the angels in heaven rejoice. And then he tells another story. And this third story in the same series of stories is about something lost as well. But it's, it's called the, the prodigal son. And the assumption is that there's one son in the story that's going to be lost. You're kind of following the theme here. But here's what's interesting. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11, I went to realize, but there's not one son, but how many? It says, and the man had how many sons? Okay, everybody say it with me. Y'all, got, y'all practicing this game already? Here we go. How many sons? Two. So two sons. So why in the world is the story called the prodigal son? Yeah, because it almost, the emphasis is, is that there's only one son that's lost. And, and that's, that's, I mean, it's kind 
going with the lost sheep, the lost coin. So surely it's just about a lost It's not just about a lost son. Matter of fact, do you remember the crowd? You have the rowdy crowd and you have the religious crowd. And so what Jesus is about to do here is something iconic because he is the master storyteller. He is going to challenge everybody in that circle. And so what he does is he tells a story about a man who had two sons. And he says, and there was one son that who was the younger rebellious son. He was the one that was not the classic rule follower. Matter of fact, the only reason that there were rules for him is so they could be broken. Can I get an amen, somebody in here that's rowdy? Yes, okay. Now, some of us are cringing because we're the older brother. We kept all the rules and, and we really believe okay, these other people, these rowdy crowd weren't here, the world would be a better place, right? But what Jesus is about to tell us, he's about to tell us that there was a, a man who had and one And he says, Father, I love you. Um, and I know that one day you're going to you do, that you're going to give me a share of the inheritance. But let's just go ahead and cut to the chase, Dad. I know that it's going to be a while before you mind just give me your, your inheritance now. Let me have it so I can go do my own thing. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're sitting in that circle and you're a part of the religious crowd, the Pharisees, that you're listening to this, they're going to go, no, dad's not going to do that. would be crazy for the dad to say yes to that. But to their surprise, Jesus says, the dad in the story says, okay, I'll let you have your stuff. And so it says, and not so many days later, the son who's rebellious, who just asked his dad for all of his inheritance, which happens to be about a third of the state, is going to go. And here's what happens. He goes and he's going to squander it all in wild and reckless living. So everything that he just got from his dad, he's going to go. And he went first to Vegas. And he, uh, man, he had a great time. He got the girl. He got the Hummer. He enjoyed his time there. He, he played all of the, the games that you could play. He had all the women you could have. He enjoyed and lived up his time. And when he was done with Vegas, he goes, hey, the party's just getting started. And so he hops in his vehicle and he goes to New Orleans. I mean, you got to experience Bourbon Street, Right. And after Bourbon Street, he went to Times Square and he just enjoyed all that there was to offer. He lived it up. He was rebellious. He was the life of the party. Listen, he bought everybody's drinks. He was the guy. Until one day, lo and behold, he realized that I only have $100 left in my pocket. And so what's he going to do? He's going to put it on the Russian roulette, puts it on black. Guess what? It's red. He's out. And not listen, he didn't just gamble in, in reckless living all that he had to, 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 to waste, but get this, he did it in a very bad economic time. And so, in a, what his thought was, well, I can at least go get a job. He goes and gets a job in the time of economic downturn. And there's this farmer, and you know what he says to him? He goes, listen, I don't have much of a job for you, but I guess I'll put you out there with the pigs. And so this guy who had a third of his father's estate has squandered it all away in reckless, rebellious living and he is now over a bunch of pigs. That stinks, doesn't it? You'll get that in a minute. <laughs> but what's crazy is, is this, is that he's there with the pigs. He realizes that he hasn't had much to eat and he longs to eat the same food that the pigs have. And as he begins to eat that food, he thinks to his mind something. He goes, you know what? My dad's servants at home, they have it a, a lot better than I do. 
And so he begins to practice this speech in his head. He goes, I bet if I go home and I tell my dad, dad, I know that what I did was wrong and I know that I'm unworthy to be called your son, but dad, would you make me a servant and would you allow me just to work on the ranch? Would you do that, dad? And he believes in his mind that his dad is good enough, that the father in this story loves his son enough that even though he doesn't feel like he's worthy to be called his son, that he would at least let him work for a better wage than what he's doing as he's eating pig food. And so one day he wakes up and he decides that he's going to head home. And if you could just imagine just real quickly kind of what's happening in the story, okay? Remember the, the rowdy crowd and religious crowd as they're listening to Jesus tell the story? Now, just real quickly, what do you think is going through their mind? So as Jesus is telling the story, the, the rowdy crowd is going, oh no, that's me. Oh no, like I, I have squandered my whole life away. I have taken from people. I have lived it up. And yes, I'm here. And What's the father going to do? At the same time, you've got the religious crowd and they're going, oh, I know exactly what the father's going to do. Remember? His thought is, if we didn't have people in the world like you, we'd be better off. And so the dad is going to clearly say, when you come, no, you've already had your share of the inheritance. You need to go on and find some other dad. But what's crazy is, is the father uh, sees his son coming from a long way off. Jesus says that the father gets up. And you know what he does? He hikes up his cloak and his tunic, which, listen, middle-aged Jewish men, they don't do that. Like, they're, they're kind of noble. They're kind of respectful. Like, they don't, they don't do that. But guess what? He's going to do it, and he is going to take off running after his son. Meanwhile, the, the son has been practicing his speech. Father, I know that I'm not worthy to be called your son. I know that if you'll just let me work on the place. And the father is running after him. And in this story, everybody's mind is blown because number one, the rowdy crowd's going, oh my gosh, the father's running to him. The, the religious crowd's going, why is the father running to him? And the father then embraces him. And what the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15 is that he begins to kiss his son and then he turns to the servant. Meanwhile, the son has been rebellious, is going, hey dad, I know that I'm not worthy to be called your son. Hey dad, if you'll just give me a job. And the dad will hear nothing of it. And he turns to his servant and he says, I want you to go get the best robe for my son. Go get the ring, go get his shoes. We're going to put them on his feet and go kill the fattened calf because we're going to throw a party because this son of mine was once lost and is now found. He was dead and now he's alive. And the rebellious crowd is going, whoa, 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 what? Like Jesus, are you, are you out of your mind? Like no Jewish man, number one, was going to hike up his cloak and tunic and run after his son that's rebellious and like this. Number two, why in the world, why in the world would a father forgive his son after he has basically said, hey, I wish you were dead, give me my stuff so I can go live it up. And he goes, that's what the father does. Meanwhile, you remember in Luke chapter 11, uh, 15, verse 11, there were how many sons? Okay, here we go. How many sons? There are two sons. So you heard one son went and recklessly, lavishly spent all that he had. There's another son at home. And this son is kind of the religious type. He's the older brother. He's the classic rule follower. He's the guy who, he's there working on the farm, done all the fathers asked him to do. And here's his response. As he is out in the field nearby, he, he's heading to the house after a day's wage, and guess what? He hears music and dancing, and he's a little bit intrigued by it. Matter of fact, he asks one of the servants, and he says, hey, what's happening in father's house? And the servant goes, well, hey, you, you should know, your father has now just killed the fattened calf because your son, or his son, 
came home and he's like, do what? His, his son, like my brother? Yes, your younger brother came home. And so they've invited all the neighbors. They gave him a robe, a ring, shoes, and they just killed the fattened calf. Now, when they say kill the fattened calf, what that means is, is there is a shindig happening at this old man's house. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second because we love this story. But let's just say that you're the religious crowd and you're listening to this. One question you have to ask yourself is, why in the world is he throwing a party with whose money? Because you think, oh, it's the father's money. Like the father can do whatever he wants. He has the estate. No, no, no. See, a third has already been given to the younger son. And so that means everything left is the older brother's. And what he just did is he dipped into the older brother's pot to throw a younger rebellious brother a party. So if you hear music and dancing and you're the rule follower in this room and you're like, we're throwing a party for my scumbag brother? What's your response? And verse 28 says that he was angry and he refused to go into the party. So the older brother's frustrated because he can't understand why we would kill the fattened calf I'm not going in. And so his father, you remember what he did? He ran after his son. He goes out for the older brother and he begs him, pleads with him. Hey, would you please come in? The scripture tells us that he entreated him. Like, come in. I'm begging you, come in. Let's throw a party because your brother was once dead and is now alive. He was once lost and he's now found. And then all of a sudden in verse 29, you see what happens. Dad, look. All these many years, all these years, what? I have served you and I have never disobeyed. Okay, hold on. Never? Seriously? All you rule followers in here, like you've never disobeyed? I have never disobeyed your command. And look what he says. And you have never done as much as kill a little goat for me. And let me celebrate with my friends. So here it is. Like Jesus is talking. He's talking to the rowdy crowd. And the rowdy crowd is going, oh yeah. You bet you didn't see that coming. And the religious crowd, I guarantee you, they're as angry right now as that brother. Because they're going, I don't understand why you're telling a story about a father who would do this. And then what happens to me? And then in verse 30 and 31, you see, you see Jesus kind of close it up. He goes, look, this, this younger brother, what does he say? He goes, and your son, your son is the problem. Why? Because prostitutes. Now, ladies, I don't know if you realize this, but every now and then when you have kiddos that disobey, you'll look to your husband and you'll go, I cannot believe your kids just did that. You ever heard that? Dads, you ever heard that? Yes. That's what this brother does. He didn't say, I, my son, your son. The one who is reckless and the one who is rebellious is the one who devoured and squandered all of the property with prostitutes and you kill a fattened calf for him? And then the response, the, the father says, son, you're always with me. You've never left my side and all that is mine is yours. And here's the deal, catch that line. All that is mine is yours. Everything left here on this state is yours. That's true. And he says, but it is fitting for us to celebrate and to be glad. Why? Because this brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And then here's what Jesus does. He does a little mic drop and walks off. 
and you got two people in this circle that are left. You've got the rebellious crowd, and they're going, booyah, uh-huh, I love to be rowdy. Why? Because Jesus does whatever he wants, and the Father can forgive us, and he killed the fat and calf, and he gave us the ring and the robe and shoes, and guess what? You got nothing, brother. And the older brother, these Pharisees are what? They're going, hold on, whoa, 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 what? Like, do I get, to, do, does the older brother even go to the party? Does he even get to be a part of it? Did they kill a goat for him? And there are all these questions, and Jesus is walking down the trail. See ya. And here's what I want you to realize. That when Jesus tells this story, he leaves something out. That there was something in the first two stories that you didn't have here. You remember the first story I told you? It was a story about the sheep. There were a hundred of them. One of them was lost. The shepherd goes, and he what? Finds it. Second there was a coin. It was lost. The woman, what? Searches for it. She finds it. They have a celebration. In this story, do you realize that no one searched after the younger brother? Nobody went in pursuit him. Nobody went after him at all. Do you know whose responsibility it was to go after him? You'd think, well, it was the father's. No, no, no. The father's old and feeble. It was the older brother's. The older brother had a chance. Why? Because everything that was left on the estate was his to spend, Right? And he chose not to spend it. Instead, he thought that I would get to my father's approval by keeping rules. And I was going to keep all the estate for me, even though his younger brother had squandered it all. See, what I want you to realize is this. In this story, being rowdy is not the way that you connect to the heart of the father. Because they didn't want the father, did they? They just wanted his stuff. But I want you to see the same thing with the son who said, Father, I've kept all the rules. I've always obeyed. You've done nothing for me. Guess what? All he wanted was God, or his father's stuff too. You got it? And so what the story shows is this. The missing link was an older brother that would have been more like Jesus. Willing to spend extravagantly at any cost what the father had given him so that the younger brother would come back home. See, that's the story of Easter. Here's the story of Easter. Jesus would leave his heavenly dwelling place if it cost him everything. He would recklessly cost everything in order to pursue you. Even in your rebellion, even in all the things that you've made up in your mind, all the things that you happen to believe right now in this moment, God pursues you through his son Jesus perfectly. And maybe you're here and you're, well, I'm not that rebellious. Well, you're the classic church person. You're actually probably the reason most people don't want to come to church because church is no fun. Why? Because we don't like parties. We don't like music and dancing and we don't like celebrations if they have anything to do with other than us. That's why the church is not much fun anymore. But regardless if you're religious or you're rowdy, you cannot connect to the heart of the Father. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through me. See, Jesus is the true and older brother. He is the one that's missing in this story, and he leaves it out there with a mic drop so that they have to wonder, well, how does one get approval to the Father? And here's how it is. The Father would choose to pursue you, and he's willing to give you a perfect son who's never sinned, who according to Colossians 2.14 has paid a debt that you will never be able to repay. He nailed it all to the cross. And if anybody in here would believe in him and confess with your mouth that you could have a relationship with him. Because I want you to realize something that Jesus never taught. Jesus never taught that it was the depth of your sin that kept you away from him, but it was the height of your pride. 
It was never the depth of your sin that kept you from God, but it was the height of your pride. So what I'm saying is that Jesus makes it very clear. Jesus makes it clear about who it is that's welcome into the party, into this story, into this narrative. And here's what I want you to realize. Jesus didn't teach that the good are somehow in and the bad are somehow out. Jesus taught that what? The humble are in and the proud are out. Basically, Jesus said anybody who would one day recognize in their life that they have wrecked it, foolish, they would understand the heart of this story. And here's the heart of the story. The heart of the story is, is that Jesus was perfect in every way. He never sinned. He died on the cross as a sinner's death. He was the penalty and the payment for us. Jesus was stripped of all of his clothes so that you could be clothed in righteousness. Jesus was mocked and jeered so that Jesus could praise and celebrate in the heavenly realms about you coming home. Jesus lost all of his dignity so that you would have dignity and worth and value. And lastly, Jesus drank the cup of wrath from God so that you and I could drink the cup of goodness in the presence of God. That's what he's done for us. And all he's saying is, is that if you would simply believe in your heart, confess with your mouth and trust him, that you could have a new life with Jesus. Because being good doesn't get you there. And being bad doesn't keep you from receiving the goodness. And so in this moment right here, here's what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity to trust Jesus fully. And there's some of you here that you're like, man, I am for sure the rebellious crowd. Like you're rowdy. Like you're just like, you live it up. Okay, I want you to realize that there's nothing you've done. There's no place that you've been. And there's nothing that's been done to you that Jesus can't forgive and make right. And maybe you're here and you go, I'm really struggling with this because I've been to church and I've been good and I've given and I've served and I I do all these things for God. Well, listen, in Matthew 7, there's going to be a time where many stand before God. He goes, depart from me for I never knew you because God is not interested in what you've done for him because you'll never do enough for him. He's only interested in what Jesus has done for you. And so maybe you're here and you would go, I'm religious. Well, listen, today is the day to say, God, I'm so sorry for being religious I'm so, God, I'm so sorry for thinking I could get to you and earn your favor by being good. You see, being good doesn't connect you to God, nor as much as rebellion keeps you from God. But in humility, when we say, I know that I'm a sinner, I know that my sin keeps you from a holy God, God, would you forgive me? Would you live in me? Would you change me? Would you help me to follow you? That's how you have a new life in Jesus. And I want to help you with that. And so here in just a second, our band is going to come and they're going to begin to play. And here's what I want you to do. I'm not real big in leading people in some sort of sinner's prayer because I don't, it's not about magic. What it is though, is right there in your seat. If we give you a couple of minutes, you can have a conversation with the God of the universe, the very God who created you and who desires to recreate you. Even in your rebellion, even in your running from God, he goes, I see you and you can come home. Even in your steadfast rule following, I've never disobeyed God. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. And even if it's just once, he's saying you can come home. And so right there, I just want to give you a chance. And you just have a conversation with God. And if you just say, God, I know that I'm a mess. God, I know that I'm separated from you because that's what the Bible tells us. In our sin, we're separated from holy God. But God, would you just forgive me? God, would you just live in me? Would you just change me from the inside out? Would you help me to be more like you? 
God, I'm entrusting you today. And there's some of you in this room, you've never been to church, and you're like, I don't even know what that looks like to trust him. I don't know anything about his Bible. Listen, Jesus doesn't require you to know the Bible to follow him. What he does is, is to re- he requires you to leave the life that you've built for yourself and in humility say, I think that God has a better life for me. And so here, as we sit in this room, I'm going to ask you, if you're right here and you go, I'm rowdy, trust Jesus. Trust him with a new life. If you're, you're, you're righteous and, and you're religious, then hey, trust him and say, hey, would you just change my heart and my life? So right there, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. I want to give you just a couple of minutes. to, If you're here and you want to trust Jesus with your life, that you could just pray to him and that you could ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to make your life new and to change your heart and to give your life to Jesus and ask him just to literally take your life from you and to lead you. And so right there, just as our band just plays, I want to give you a couple of minutes to respond. Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you lived a perfect life and you died a sinner's death for us. According to Romans chapter five, that you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And Jesus, we thank you that you paid a debt that we'll never repay. There's nothing that we'll ever do to be good enough. We'll never keep enough rules. We'll never attend enough church services. Because at the end of the day, we are sinners and we're separated from a holy God. But we thank you that you lavished yourself on us. That even in our sin problem, you sent your son Jesus to be perfect in every way. Because of his death and because of his burial, but most importantly, because of his resurrection, he overcame sin, death, and the grave. And so because of that, we can actually invite you into our lives. And we gotta also, I pray, Lord, just for the religious person in here. That God, they once once grew up in church but I pray God that you would show them through the power of your spirit even in this moment that not only do you exist but that you overcame sin and death and the grave and that you want to walk with them in life and in harmony and in beauty not because of their life not because of what they've done but because of who you are and what you've done for us and so Jesus we thank you and we love you and we ask this all in the precious wonderful name of Jesus the resurrected king amen